0: Two things I want to mention real quick. Uh, In just a moment, Dory's going to do our scripture reading for us. Uh, And the other thing is, we've got a super short business meeting after this service uh, to welcome some new members. So stick around for just five minutes, and uh, it'll be a cause to celebrate. Uh, Dory, go ahead.
1: We're reading from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Those things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the profession, The procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan. The heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God.
0: It's a beautiful psalm. And I love its honesty. Because on one level, we all know that our hope is secure. Our future is incredible. And yet so often our souls can be downcast within us. And so with the psalmist, we cry out, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God my Savior, and my King. First Peter is a book that is profoundly hopeful, and it's written to people who were fearful and hopeless. And so it's a book that I believe can help me and can help you in a year like no other. And as I began my message and our time in 1 Peter together with that psalm in mind asking the question, Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Let me ask you some things that might make your soul downcast. How many of you are optimistic about the goodness of 2021? How many of you are confident we got one? <laughs> A few others. How many of you are feeling confident that when the time comes for you to retire, you're going to be able to? How many of you who are retired are feeling confident that you have saved enough? How many of you could lose it all and be okay? How many of you are hopeful that you will have a job through 2021 that meets the needs of your family? How many of you are hopeful for your kids and your grandkids that they will be able to have jobs that provide for their needs? How many of you are hopeful that the future of America is better than its past? How many of you are hopeful That the future of the church and the kingdom of Jesus is more solid and secure than ever. In this bizarre year, it is hard to have hope. You find very easy to say, why so downcast, oh my soul? And so I want to preach to you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, of your solid and secure hope. In this bizarre year, it is hard to maintain that hope. And one of the ways that we maintain hope is by reminding ourselves of what's true. Reading the scriptures, hearing them preached, focusing on things of heaven when the things of earth are dark and discouraging. That's not escapism that keeps you grounded. It doesn't make you of no earthly good. It's the only reason you can be of any earthly good. Because your salvation is certain. Your suffering is purposeful and purifying. Your future is better than you can possibly imagine. I'm gonna say that again. That is the main point of this message today. Your salvation, if you are a believer in Jesus, is certain. Your suffering is purposeful and purifying. Your future is better than you can possibly imagine. And so I want to point you to the words of 1 Peter written to people who had been displaced, who had been spread in five different colonies throughout ancient Asia. And Peter begins after he has addressed this group saying that they were foreknown by God the Father they were elect, chosen by God, to be sanctified by the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood. After He has prayed, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. He then turns and praises the Father. And my first point this morning from First Peter is that when times are dark, we begin, as hard as it is, with prayers of praise. Think of that psalm again for a second. Where does the psalmist begin? It says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. It's a kind of praise from a thirsty soul that says, God, you are the greatest good. You are the only thing that satisfies. And when I look around and I don't see you, I long for you and I want more of you. You are the only source of satisfaction. And like that ancient psalmist, Peter says, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were here last week and you heard my first sermon on 1 Peter, you know the people he's writing to have been thrown out of their home city. They've lost their homes. They've been forced to move to a place where they are not welcome as citizens. And so their hope was struggling and weak. And if you've ever been discouraged and someone comes alongside of you who's just overzealous and happy and joyful, you kind of just want to punch them in the face, right? (laughs) Not super spiritual, but it's true. And Peter writes to these displaced people and begins his address to them with a praise of thanksgiving to God the Father. Because... In dark times, Peter is persuaded of the truth that God is good. He's not in denial at all. He blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives reasons for why he is praising God. And the bulk of my message this morning, I want to spend in verse 3 through 5, because it's there that we find the reasons for Peter's praise and for our praise. So he begins with a prayer of praise, but he moves to focus on the work of God. Do you believe that God is active today? That he's active in your life both in the form of blessing but also when he allows suffering into your life. That that's not an accident. That he didn't somehow fail to control things. That he he slipped up and forgot and took his eye off you and, and so you're in trouble because of that. No, not in a million years. Peter has the confidence that God is active in your life and in my life. And he gives you this great confidence that your salvation is certain for three specific reasons. So we've read the beginning of verse 3. Let's look at the second half of verse 3 through verse 5. And see God at work. Peter says, according to his great mercy, he, God, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now there are three solid reasons for you to be able to praise God because of the work that God is doing. So I don't know if you're a note taker. Sometimes I find it helpful to take notes as I'm listening to preaching. But I don't want to be confusing here. I'm going to give you three reasons that your salvation is secure. And that is under the heading of God is at work. Which is why you can praise him. So here are the three reasons. And I'll pause and give you a little bit more detail on each of them. Number one, you can praise God and God is at work. Because if you are a believer in Jesus, he has caused you to be born again he has caused you to be born again you can praise him every day for that number two not only has God caused you to be born again God is keeping your future inheritance number two God is keeping your future inheritance and number three not only is God keeping your future inheritance God is keeping you God is guarding you so let's go back and look each of those in more detail and understand that each of them helps us praise the Father when times are dark, when times are uncertain. God is at work, and number one, God has caused you to be born again. You can think of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 3, where he says to the Pharisee Nicodemus, who looks good on the outside, he's a real religious guy, But Jesus said to him, you must be born again. He was totally confused by that. He had no idea what it meant. And maybe it's a confusing term that you don't know what it means either. Why is new birth necessary? Why do we have to be born again? Well, because the scripture teaches that we are born sinners. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at verses 1 through 3, Paul describes a very dark view of humanity. He says that by nature, we were children of wrath. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. We are alienated from God. We are enemies of God. We are spiritually dead. And new birth is necessary because unless God makes us alive, we will be cut off and separated from him forever. And that's why I've qualified the hope that's here by saying, if you know Jesus as your Savior... If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And the only hope you have is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. But if you are a believer, the hope that you have is God has caused you to be born again. And I want you to think for just a moment about the metaphor of new birth. I believe Jesus is very intentional when he uses that to describe how we are made alive in Christ. How many of you had any choice whatsoever when you were born the first time? Did you say, hey mom and dad, I'd kind of like to exist. Could you help me out with that? No, you can't. You don't exist yet. And yet God the Father Not only in his perfect plan caused you to be born the first time. If you are a believer in Jesus, the scripture teaches that God has caused you to be born again. He made you alive while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 says, just because he was merciful... He wasn't looking to see who would turn out to be beautiful or handsome. He wasn't looking to see who would turn out to be a pretty good person already, so he chooses the best and lets the rest go. Just because of his mercy, he causes you to be born again. And here's why that is amazing news. Because if your salvation depends on you and the strength of your faith and your ability to believe when times are dark, it will fail. You will be discouraged by the things that happen around you, by the trials and hardships of life. And in your own strength, you will not continue in belief. But if God is the source of your belief, if he initiates it and he begins it, what does Philippians say? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And the scripture teaches that God is the one who began this. Christian, your hope is secure because God is the cause. And just like you had no choice in being born the first time, your choice, humanly speaking, had nothing to do with you being born again the second time. God gives you the gift of faith in opening your eyes. And his gift is not going to be revoked when times are dark and difficult. Peter says very specifically the way we were born again and given this life is by the resurrection. By the resurrection. Notice it there again in in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, how does the resurrection bring about new life? How does the resurrection bring about new birth? Here's how. Scripture teaches, as I've just said, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that He, as God's Son, died in our place. Our faith unites us to Him so that His death becomes our death. And His death perfectly satisfies the wrath of God on our behalf. So that we no longer are indebted to God because of our sin. We are no longer aliens and enemies of God because of our sin. Instead, the death of Christ satisfies his justice. And the resurrection of Christ gives us new life. say, Pastor, how do you know that? That's just a phrase in First Peter. How do you get all that? I would urge you, if you have that question, read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's one of my favorite texts that talks about baptism. Because Paul describes how we are united to Christ in death, and baptism is just a public profession of that faith that we died with him, and if we have died with him, we also will be raised with him. And being united to Christ by faith means that we share in his life. So Christian, how do you have life? You have life because Jesus rose again from the dead. And if you have been united to him by faith, the life that you receive from the new birth comes because Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why Paul says in Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, we have no hope. But Christ has been raised. And so Christian, if you have been born again, take comfort because God has caused you to be born again. Take comfort because the source of your life is the resurrection of Christ. And finally, take comfort because today, many people, many people, believe that your first birth is your destiny, and the Bible says that is not true. And what do I mean by that? Think for just a moment. There are songs that that celebrate I was born this way. Remember Lady Gaga from like 15 years ago? There are also people who all the time will say things, you know, like I have issues with pornography or I have issues with dishonesty or I have issues with anger and they just say well I can't help it I was born that way like there's no hope for change because that's who you are and what you are you know what scripture says to that so that that's true you were born that way but if God has caused you to be born again you have new life And so I don't care what sin you are tempted with. I don't care what sin you were born predisposed to. If you have new life in you, you have the hope of changing. It doesn't mean that you're instantly changed in a moment. Peter makes this really obvious in this passage if you read it carefully. Because he says, you have been born again. And yet later on he'll make it clear that your final and ultimate salvation is in the future. In other words, the new birth has given you that life, but that life hasn't worked itself into every nook and cranny of your heart. And so in this life, we struggle with our own sins, with our own darkness, but if the beginning has come from God, he will see it through to the end. And so if you feel like, I can't change because I I was born this way, that's absolutely not true. If you've been born again to a new and living hope, it means that God will change you from the inside out. And that change is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't deny that God is at work in your heart and in your life. In fact, don't deny that there are real problems within our society that need to change. Recognize that through the power of Christ, we can change. You know, in ancient times, the church was divided on religion and race because some people had grown up Jewish and they felt like they had inherited certain privilege because of their status as the people of God. And they looked at Gentile Christians, those who were not Jewish, those who were Greeks or, or those who were Africans. They looked at them as sort of second-class citizens And the writers of Scripture by the Spirit of God said, no, not in a million years. And in ancient times, the church enjoyed racial harmony. And friends, if that happened by the power of the Spirit of God in the first century, it can happen by the power of the Spirit of God in the 21st century. You can't look at a person by their skin color and say, you're hopelessly racist because of how you were born and where you were raised. No. Because the new birth can change a sinner into a saint. Doesn't matter what your background is. There's hope for national unity. And as I prayed earlier in this service, asking the Lord that he would have mercy on us, that we would be a just society, I don't mean to to posture as if some sort of super spiritual Christian that that we're just going to pray and fix this. I believe that the Spirit of God fixes this as believers are faithful to the gospel. And do you know what hope our church has to heal the racism in America and the church across America? It's that individual believers like me and you would stand up and say, I am a sinner and Jesus is a savior. And yes, I might battle with privilege. I might battle with all kinds of stuff. But the great hope for racial unity in America is that The new life that's in blacks and whites and Asians and Hispanics, the new life that's in all of us is changing us from the inside out. And the new birth can bring healing to a life and to lives and to families, to churches, to nations, to the whole world because Christ has been raised. New birth changes us. And so this is the reason you can have hope in a dark time. This is a reason you can have hope when there are riots and police officers are being shot. This is a reason you can have hope when people are predicting a terrible second wave in the onset of flu season. You can have hope because God has caused you to be born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only this... Christian, your ultimate hope is not here. It's not in America. Your ultimate hope is in heaven, and God is keeping your future inheritance. So he's given you the new life now. Peter says that you have been raised to life and that you have been raised to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now let's talk about this for just a minute. What kind of inheritance is he talking about? What does he mean? Is he talking about a cottage up north? Is he talking about a bank account that you can do what you want with? Is he talking about a house? Is he talking about cars? I know all of the types of things that we hope to leave for our children and that we maybe hope to receive from our parents. Peter has something greater than that in mind. And here's the beautiful, blessed reality The inheritance that we have is hard to wrap our heads around because the Bible tells us it is beyond our imagination. We cannot conceive of how good it is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the future is so good that it's beyond our capacity to even dream about. And I think the closest we get to it, Scripture tells us that when Jesus returns and and takes home his bride, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you've been to a good wedding where where the bride and the groom are are happy, well-functioning people, you're not worried about the future of their marriage. You're glad that they're getting married. If you've ever been to a celebration where there was health and blessing, weddings are some of our happiest days And that's what the Bible says it's going to be like to be united with Jesus. We'll have a celebration. There will be feasting. There will be dancing. And no one will feel awkward. That's a day in the future. And when you are welcomed to that feast, you're not welcomed as some sort of awkward distant relative or family friend. You're welcomed as part of the family. Think of how Jesus describes the prodigal son coming home. And think about the father throws a feast. And imagine your favorite food. I don't care if it's pizza or ribs or whatever. Imagine that the best food that you can imagine has been prepared. And your father prepared it for you because he loves you and he's excited that you're home. And he kills the fatted calf and he puts a robe on you, puts a ring on your finger, puts sandals on your feet. You share all the wealth of your father. But the most precious thing is that you're close to the father who loves you. These are the types of pictures that the scriptures give us to help us understand the inheritance. You're not going to be some lonely old miser that has a pile of gold by yourself. You're going to be welcomed into the happiest, healthiest family you can possibly imagine with eternal joy that never ends. When Christians die, that is their hope. That's why they can die with confidence. Eternal love in the presence of God and eternal joy. I asked a couple moments ago, you know, who here has great hope in your present savings account? Who here is absolutely certain that your 401k is going to be fine if you're planning on retiring in like 2025? Who here has watched the sickening swing of the stock market with your retirement at risk and felt great security here? The answer is there's no security here. I know somebody that that worked at Starbucks with me, and Starbucks is crazy generous with retirement. So they'll take an 18-year-old kid, and they'll start contributing radically to their 401k in hopes that they'll actually do pretty well when they want to retire at 65. And so many of the coworkers that I started with over 20 years ago have a nice, or had a nice little nest egg. And one of my friends from like 15 years ago, somewhere around April, decided to log into Fidelity and see how her account was doing. She left in tears. If your hope is there, you don't have much hope. But if your hope is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you by God, who cares? Because your inheritance is beyond the reach of this earth and the devil himself. Your inheritance is guarded by God, and it's beyond the reach of this world. And so you have the good news that God is keeping everything you need For you. Not only that, I was reading a couple different commentaries throughout the week, and and John Calvin has such a heart for his people and such a pastoral love. He pointed out that Peter makes it very clear that this inheritance is for you. Peter doesn't say God's got this great inheritance for the people that love him. He makes it very clear that it is for you. You. You could take your Bible and you could write your name in where it says you. The promises of God are not for other people somewhere else. If your hope is in Jesus, the promises of God and this inheritance and the new life, it is for you. I could say this inheritance is for Phil. It's for Lauren. I could say it's for Scott. I could say it's for Jill. I could say it's for Chris. I could say it's for Carol. I could say it's for Bill. If your hope is in Christ, your name belongs in this verse. God has an inheritance for you. The uncertainty of this year and whatever comes in the next year cannot touch it. It is kept by God for you. And not only is God guarding your inheritance, he's not like Smog the Dragon just sitting on it while you're off in danger. God is guarding you. Look at this next piece that that Peter describes so that you can praise the Father, so that you can trust his work. Peter says, verse 5, not only is your inheritance kept in heaven for you, verse 5, you are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Calvin had a quote that was so good, I just want to share it with you directly. He said, How weak soever we may then be, yet our salvation is not uncertain, because it is sustained by God's power. As then we are begotten by faith, so faith itself receives its stability from God's power. Hence is its security not only for the present, but also for the future. Have you ever doubted your faith? I I don't want to ask you to raise your hand. That's probably too awkward, right? I I think the dirty secret is, if we were to raise hands, probably every hand in here would go up. At some point, you have doubted, is this true? Is Jesus real? Did he rise from the dead? Are my sins forgiven? And if you believe that it's up to you to maintain your faith, you have no guarantee that you'll have faith five minutes from now. But if it is up to God to maintain your faith, and if you have been born again, you have great confidence because God, by his unlimited sovereign power, is guarding you through faith. He gives you the gift of faith when you are born again, and he maintains that gift by his power, not yours. And so you have great hope you can bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, personally because He is actively working for you in 2020, and He's not going to stop in November. You have great confidence and hope that you've been caused to be born again, that your inheritance is being guarded by God, and not only your inheritance, but you are being guarded by God. My first point this morning is that Peter begins with praise. My second point is that that praise is based in the work of God. But finally, as we trust in the work of God, we wait for our future hope. So my third point this morning is our wait We've seen this prayer of praise. We've seen the work of God. Now let's look at our weight in the present. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, Do you notice that Peter describes your final salvation as being in the future? Think again of that song that is so perfectly written. Amazing grace. How Newton describes, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. The Father uses every danger, every toil, every snare as you await your final salvation, there will be no danger in heaven. But now, we wait for that final salvation. But as we wait, we have the confidence that even our suffering is used by God. You say, how do you know that? Well, notice this little word, necessary necessary. Notice what Peter says, that although we have this salvation, although we rejoice right now, verse 6, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now here's what I believe Peter is describing. You have a father who caused you to be born again. You have a father who loves you more deeply than you can possibly imagine. And if your father loves you, our natural instinct is that he would spare us from all difficulty and pain and sorrow. And God hasn't done that for any of you. I know some of your stories. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have been through the pain of divorce. Some of you have wrestled with serious illness and you go, God, why? I have heard people in tears say, what did I do to deserve this? And the expectation is that if God the Father loves us, he would spare us from all of these things. And what Peter says right here is that now, for a little while, if necessary, if necessary, God allows trials into our lives. That means that we need those trials. Why? Peter points to a couple reasons. He says one of the reasons is so that, verse 7 the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the testing of your faith in trials where you are afraid and your faith feels weak is showing that it is genuine. Think for a moment if you know the Old Testament about Job. If you don't know about Job, I'm going to tell you about Job. Job is described as a righteous man. He is a man that loves to worship. He's also a man who is wealthy. Everyone wants to be Job for a couple minutes at the beginning of the book. Satan goes before God and God says to him, Have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, Yeah, of course he loves you. You've given everything that he could ever have wanted. He's got a beautiful family. He's wealthy, he feasts all the time. Who wouldn't be happy like that? Let me take all that stuff from him and let's see if he curses you. Because many of us, when we lose the things we love, are tempted to curse God, right? Satan understands our character and our weakness. And the same thing happens to us. And if you, when you lose the things you love, continue to have that faith that, like the psalmist panting for God, like the psalmist says, Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. If you maintain that faith in the struggle, it's showing that your faith is genuine. And without the test, the genuineness of your faith would not be obvious to you or to anyone else. You might look back at a previous generation of super Christians, right? The nice thing about looking at Christians from the past is that all their trials and struggles are over. So we can celebrate their success and say what great people they were, but we don't see the agony of their struggles, because they're done. And so when you and I experience struggles and pain in life, it feels like we just can't possibly compete. There's no hope. But if you see God preserve you, then God is testifying to you that your faith is genuine. So I said a couple minutes ago, some of you have lost children. Some of you have had cancer. Some of you have been through divorce. Are you still a believer today? Then your faith was tested and your faith passed the test. And the tested genuineness of your faith is an encouragement and a comfort now. And if you're worried about failing the test in 2020, remember that it was God who got you through it in the past, and God will get you through it in the present. So my first point in this wait, the first point of encouragement while we wait for our final salvation is that God has a purpose in your suffering and his purpose is to encourage you as your faith withstands tests. Now you know that your faith is genuine because God has helped you believe in it and through it and your confidence is not in yourself but in the God who continued to carry you when times were difficult. So, number one, in your weight, be encouraged because God's purpose in testing you is to strengthen your faith. And He says, your faith is more permanent than gold. Not only that, recognize the reality that rejoicing and grieving happen at the same time in the same person. Rejoicing and grieving happen at the same time in the same person. Peter says very clearly that in this salvation you rejoice. And if you are a believer, do you remember the moment that you realized that God loved you even though you were a sinner? Do you remember the moment that you realized that God would forgive you for your sins? Do you remember the moment when you realized That you had a hope and a future. That God was the Father who would welcome you with open arms. That Jesus is the Savior who spread His arms to die for you. And that God would put His Spirit in you so that He was always with you and you would never be alone. Do you remember the joy of coming to Christ and realizing that He saved you? Not because of anything you did, but because He loved you. Now, Christian, it's easy for that joy to fade. Peter's not saying that you're going to live on a mountaintop for the next 40 years. He's saying, in this joy, you rejoice, and at the same time, you grieve through the trials that God is carrying you through. So, Christian, as you grieve, don't feel like you are somehow failing at Christianity. Don't feel like you must not have faith because you are in grief. The reality is we rejoice and we grieve at the same time. And Peter's goal and my goal is to help you remember the joy in your grief and fear so that you're not overcome by fear. So that you don't give in to despair. Remember the joy that you have had. And notice how Peter describes their relationship with Jesus. He says, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, You love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, pause for a second. I was talking to a believer who's known the Lord for like 40 years, and he said to me, I don't know if I have that kind of emotional experience. And I think few people do. How many of you could say with absolute certainty, I love the Lord? How many of you could say you feel that way Monday morning at 5.30 when your alarm goes off? How many of you say that you have a joy, a real joy, and if you say, Pastor, I've got it. I'm going to call you on it next time I see you when you're grouchy. Because nobody lives that way all the time. The reality is, if you know Jesus... God has placed His love in you. First John says, "We love because." He first loved us. It started with him. He picked this out and said, "I love you, and I forgive you, and you are mine. You are my son, you are my daughter." And because we've received the love of God, His love is in us, not perfectly, but it started. It has begun. And at times, we experience amazing joy. And here's the thing that I think we need to hear from this passage. I believe we forget that it's possible, and we quit trying. I was listening to an amazing message, just a clip of an amazing message by John Piper this past week, and he was talking about the book of Revelation, Remember where where Jesus goes to the church of Laodicea, and he says, you guys are lukewarm. They were not experiencing joy. They were not experiencing happiness in Christ. They felt like they were fine as they were, and they didn't really need anything extra from Jesus. They'd secured that eternal life thing, and they were wealthy and happy and well-fed, so they had no need of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. In other words... Jesus is saying to joyless Christians, if you want that joy, seek my presence in your life. He's given you a promise that he will come and fellowship with you. Now here's the reality. Sometimes we are very much like the psalmist that says, God, where are you? I thirst for you, which means I'm not finding satisfaction in you right now. I've got a desire that's not being met. Where are you? As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's the cry of someone who wants to feel the love, who wants to feel the joy, and they're not presently feeling it. And if that's not a description of 2020, I don't know what is. Many people are anxious and fearful. Many people are depressed. Suicide rates are soaring because we are not meant to be locked up at home. But if we are, Peter would remind us that our ultimate hope is in joy in Christ Jesus that even when you are locked up at home, though you have not seen Jesus, this is true of every believer today, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. That's the faith that God gives you. Faith and belief. It's the same word in Greek. In him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. Here's what I believe, Christian. Even if we have to go back to being locked down, even if we have to stop meeting for a couple of weeks or, or whatever, I don't know what the future holds. I have no idea where this is going. Here's what's going to be true, is that You can have an intimate fellowship with Jesus in your apartment by yourself. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what I've been doing since I listened to that sermon clip a couple of days ago. See, I believe that Jesus is giving you and me a very intimate promise. And and as a Christian, one of my biggest struggles is I understand the warnings of Scripture, and I take them very personally. But I forget that God wants me to take his promises personally, too. And Jesus gives us this intimate promise that anyone who opens the door to his knocking will enjoy his fellowship. So I've just very intentionally, multiple times a day, as I pray, said, Lord Jesus, I I want that intimate fellowship with you. Would you be with me as I wash these three dishes? Not kidding. the, The twins started crying, and so I only washed three dishes. But I wanted the presence of Christ with me as I did it because I hate washing dishes. And as I got ready to prepare my message this week, I said, Lord Jesus, would you be- I don't want to prepare this as a scholar. I want to prepare this as a pastor for the people that you have called, for the people that you love. Lord Jesus, would you be with me in a personal, present way? Because your word promised that if I opened the door of my heart to you, you would come and fellowship with me that's a promise for me and saints that is a promise for you that is a present promise for you and when you fellowship with the Lord Jesus you begin to taste this joy and the affections of your heart rise up and if you've never experienced that would you try it would you make it a point this week in your prayers maybe at the beginning of the day, or maybe just when you randomly think of it, or maybe if you're like me, you need a reminder. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I am taking on faith that you will fellowship with me. I am believing that I can experience this love and this joy. I am trusting that you have forgiven me for my sins, and that you have made this promise to be with me, and call him on his promise, and you will find him faithful. You will find that your joy Rises. Saints, I I have been addressing 90% of this message to those who are believers because my goal in preaching 1 Peter is to strengthen your faith, to encourage your faith. But maybe you've been listening to this message, whether you're here in person or online, and maybe you're feeling like, "I, I don't know if I've ever experienced any of that. I don't know if I actually believe that Jesus really died for my sins and rose from the dead. Maybe you're saying, I've, you know, I've never been baptized as a believer. Maybe you need to begin this journey. Maybe you need to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I believe that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. Maybe you need to be baptized. If that's you, would you commit to being baptized? And I need you to tell me about it. We can't plan for it. We can't do it if you don't tell me. You could tell me after the end of service today. You could tell me if you're watching online. You could go to fbcholly.org, contact us and shoot me an email. If you've got my phone number, you can send me a text. I want to invite you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved and to be baptized and to begin this journey. Christian, if you are already a believer and you've gotten caught up in fear and worry because of all the madness of this year, because of the violence and riots and the sickness, would you commit to seeking the presence of the Lord in your life? You know, if Jesus is sitting next to you on the couch while you watch the news, you're probably not going to be as afraid of it. You're going to take comfort that he is with you and that he will care for you. And so I want to urge you, Christian, would you seek the presence of the Lord the way this book describes in your life? Saints, some of you are getting close to the end of your journey. Even aside from the pandemic, Some of you are going to see Jesus face to face in just a few years. We don't know how long. In fact, some of you who are very young may see Jesus very soon. We don't know. If you are fearful about what happens at the end of your life, and you say, I'm already a believer. Here's what I want to do for you right now. I want to remind you that God has caused you to be born again. I want to remind you that God is keeping an inheritance for you. I want to remind you that God is keeping you. And whatever he calls you to, when death is near, he will keep you clear through to the other side. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you take these truths of your word and I pray she would just plant them deeply in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Father, use the Spirit to remind us of these verses, of these truths. Strengthen our faith. I pray that our church here in Holly would be a source of precious hope for thousands of people around us. I pray that as we claim your promises, we would find you faithful and true. Bless us with this kind of love and this kind of joy. And I ask this boldly in the name of Jesus because His blood has paid for all of it. It's in His name I pray. Amen.